Francoise is a classic because it's about a woman reclaiming her time, her power, her strength, and getting what she wants. This play is a classic because the female characters are fully realized people who have lives beyond the page. Francoise is a classic because I can pronounce it now. <laughs> <laughs> This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater podcast. Woo! We're your hosts. Emily, artistic director of Hedgewig Ensemble and a curator of Expand the Canon. And me, Shannon, director of production for Hedgewig Ensemble Theater and also a curator for Expand the Canon. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgewig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. Today, we will be discussing the French play Françoise by Georges Sand. If you were to go on our 2021 list online, and you should, yes. what is our pitch for this play, Emily? If you're looking for something a bit lighter in your Ibsen or Shaw slot, consider this deft comedy where the girl finally learns to stand up for herself. An enjoyable romp through Bourges, France, this play speaks to anyone who has gotten stuck in a relationship with someone truly selfish. Henry, the idealized love of Francoise, is a central role without precedent in French literature yet whom is easily recognized in contemporary life. Ahead of its time, Georges Sand delivers this delightful, snide jab at the aristocracy that seems a precursor to Oscar Wilde's cutting humor. Join us in rooting for Francoise as she gains the self-worth to say adieu. Dum, dum. So Shannon, can you, before we go into all this, can you just pronounce things, please? For sure. <laughs> I just saw this line that you wrote that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, Emily reminds Shannon to say all the things in French, please. Thank you. <laughs> yes, for context for everyone. I am French. I was French is my first language, hence why I'm asked to pronounce these things. So, I mean, Emily, you had all of these correct. It's Bourges, France. Obviously, we're not going to say France. We're going to say France. Henri or Henry, both are fine. Francoise doesn't really translate in English. But it's a good... It's a good reminder it's not Francois. Francois, yeah. Francois is the, the masculine version of Francoise. The character names, we have Laurent Trigonac, which is a last name, De Buisson, which we'll talk a lot about, Marie-Jeanne, La Hionnet. These are all titles and names of people, and I will be repeating them throughout this episode as well, so you'll hear them repeatedly. Dum, dum. It's a really dynamic play, and I think... As you're diving into it, in the first scene, I think you're getting just a, a bit of this into the world, the sort of like class comedy that we're dealing with. Um, but it's really when Francoise enters and we've got this like first bit of banter with her initial love interest that almost sets up a like a kinder Beatrice and Benedict vibe. But for me, it was definitely when Cleonice, when she enters and we have this scene between her and Francoise and they're just so glib. They're so honest. They're so modern and just deeply funny, relatable, sweet, charming women that I, that's when I was like, oh, Oh, I want to see this. I want to see this. I want to hang out with these people for 
for a long time. Yeah, I agree. This is also, yeah, this is definitely a reason why I was like, this was one of my favorite plays that I read last year is just because the characters are so relatable and the female characters, the women in this play are so well written and they feel like they have a life beyond the page. From the 2021 list, it stood out as a play that kind of, you know, is a slice of life play. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it is a slice of life, but it's also a romance. It's also like a coming of age play in a way as well for a, a number of these characters. And I think it's just, it's super charming. I would say it's most adjacent to Anima from our first list. Yes. It's a very different topic, but still a sort of romantic 19th century, like sexy, fun story about empowering a woman and having her own, her gifts, her intelligence, all that she is. And and having her stand in her strength that way, which is so exciting to see and such a fun narrative to be uplifting in a list like this, but also just in general. Agreed. 100%. And when we talk about gender equity in the classics, this is the representation that we're talking about of the stories that we're, you know, we want, we're wanting to tell. The other thing, I mean, we haven't totally acknowledged, and we'll get into this at, uh, in the plot of this play, but... At the end, Francoise totally stands up for herself. And like, I feel like in this moment of self-care and especially coming out of COVID, like talking a lot about owning your gifts and um, Mm -hmm. personal strength and all that stuff. She is such a pinnacle of that. I deeply relate to Francoise in the last scene. (laughs) Uh, I think women do have this tendency to give a lot and especially in relationships and she is saying that she's worth it. She is worth having a partner who is going to support her. Yeah. Even if it's not that, it's just like she deserves, she deserves more. I think we all deserve more. We are all Francoise. <laughs> 100%. That last monologue at the end was truly, I remember the first time I read it, I was like, oh my God, because it's kind of a, it's not a plot twist, but you, you don't really know where it's going to go. A little bit is. It is, it is a little bit is. The way she kind of brings him down, he was just kind of like, yes, I wish we could all step into that power because she just owns it. So many plays, especially in the classics, the woman has been the center of the plot for the whole play and then it ends and she gets married and the last people you hear are her father or her husband. Mm. And you're just like, this is so annoying. Whereas this, she has the last big monologue and then it just kind of ends, but you're left with her moment. And that's so great. She's like, no, I deserve better. I should be loved the way I have loved you. Mm. And she literally does get the last laugh or the last line. I mean, both. Good on her. Legacy. So the play centers around a small family. The play starts with the maid, Marie-Jeanne, talking with her neighbor, Debusson. He's important later on. All you need to know is that he's wealthy and he was from the working class, but he's made his wealth in France and now is a banker and has properties all over France. You know, the typical story of how to build your wealth in a capitalist society. But he also gives us a really helpful foil to the doctor i think the the importance of this first scene for dubisson is the comparison with the doctor and that the doctor is very giving and generous even though he also has he's like middle class but this sense of of having a foil comparing and contrasting what you could do with money are you going to be miserly are you going to be generous and the doctor is generous and that sort of generosity pulls at dubisson to be a little more generous in response as well So it's kind of a dance back and forth that way. It is. 
So after this little scene, enter Henry, who's a debonair young man who comes in search of Francoise. Uh, Marie-Jeanne won't let him in because propriety, a man and a woman can't be alone in a oh. room together, even though they've, Francoise is old enough and she can take care of herself, but they've also been raised together. So it's not like they haven't been alone in a room in the past, but now she's just older, so it's a little less appropriate. And he has been gone for a little while. He's been gone for, I think it's been a few years, so this is kind of a reunion of sorts. Yeah, and we've also heard that he's been a little bit of a... Um... Let's kindly say a flirt. He's been a flirt yeah. uh, for the past few years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's been around town. A little rakish, you know? Mm-hmm. So enter pseudo number two, La Hionette. So he's an apparent family rival of Henry. Enter Dr. Laurent, Francoise's father. And he seems progressive enough for his time. Like Emily was saying, he is very generous. You know that he's generous because he serves the poor pro bono. And he also treats his daughter as a full human with agency. What? what? Her mother Yay. has died a while ago, and he <laughs> raised her and Henry together. You could tell that, you know, there's love and care, and he realizes that she's a full human adult. What a concept. Another reason to love this play. And he also took in Henry because Henry's mother died early as well. Yes. And so he's, like, honoring the memory of both of their mothers, which is, is also kind of pleasant to, to be honoring women. It is. Hooray. So... Right now in the scene, the doctor and La Lionne are, are alone, and La Lionne goes on to tell the doctor that he thinks he might be Henry's brother. <gasps> Shock. <gasps> While this confession seems random, it is anything but because La Lionne's father told his son on his deathbed how, as a young man, he fell in love with a woman much wealthier than him, and knowing he couldn't marry her, he went to go see her one last time. And we know what this wink, one wink, last wink. time entailed exactly. Wink, wink. Soon after, she was with child, and Henry's father was jealous and sent his supposed son to live far away with strangers. It's never confirmed. At this time, we don't know what the parentage is, but Henry's father just assumed that, you know, he wasn't hers, so he sent her away to live with strangers, which was Francoise and her father, Dr. Laurent. And La Hionette claims he has a letter from Henry's mother that she wrote when she died of heartbreak, in which she asks La Hionette to protect Henry super sweet and La Hione is like I'm gonna call him Jacques because that's actually his first name which is easier yeah. to say than La Hione. so Jacques <laughs> is very like very protective so Dr. Laurent is shook by this understandably mm. and commends Jacques's commitment to his half-brother however he tells Jacques that Henry is oh this is a quote Emily exuberant he's flighty hot one minute and cold the next easily swept away by either truth or falsehood. But a serious friend like you could do him a lot of good. Exactly. What a, what a great character witness of the son he supposedly raised. <laughs> right. I love him, but he's a wackadoo. Exactly. He's intense. <laughs> and then we also learn that Henry has racked up some debts and is looking to marry to fix his situation. A little bit of foreshadowing. Girl, get that prenup. Yeah. Get uh, that uh, prenup, uh, yeah. my friend. And so the doctor, Laurent, and Jacques then come up with a story that will allow Jacques to stay a day or more at the Laurent household so he can get to know Henry better, because they haven't really gotten to know each other better. The two are finally introduced, pleasantries are exchanged, and enter Francoise, finally! After all this exposition, we finally have the titular character. She is this bright, extroverted, and witty woman, and immediately Jacques is taken by her. But again, so is Henry. (laughs) 
Jacques is observing all of this and he's like, okay, I'll step back because Henry's in love with her and I'm protecting Henry. Blah, blah, blah. Obviously, that's the one Francoise is who Henry wants to marry because she's amazing. Amazing, right? Clearly, Clearly right? You that's how that's got to go. And what we also find out is that Francoise is also taken by a Henry. To be fair, he's supposedly gorgeous and they've been raised together. So she knows him very well. And he, you know, he's very charming. That's in the character description. He's a very charming man. Enter Cunis, Francoise's friend and daughter of the Dubuisson banker. So she's technically also her neighbor. She's also the best. <laughs> she's great. She's young, very stylish. This is Blair Waldorf to Francoise's Serena Vanderwoodson without oh. the bickering and jealousy. You know what is sort of funny? I would almost have flipped them in a way. Like, I think I, I imagine Cleanies as more the like... I don't know. I think just she's more frank and open as a person. I think Francoise is more contained, like Blair. I, I, maybe, maybe, you know what? I'll say Blair, first season Blair Waldorf to last season Serena Vanderwoodson. <laughs> Very good. Let us know if you agree with our assessment of Gossip Girl to French plays. So they discuss, um, Francoise and Cleonis discuss Cleonis's many old suitors that have been thrust upon her by her parents. Her parents want to see her married to a man with a title because of appearances. But Cleonis is young and she wants love and romance and passion and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's that like young money to hoping to try to be old money. Exactly. So Cleonis spots Henry and across the room and she teases Francoise about her potential crush on him. But also the seed is planted in the audience's brain that Henry is a marquis and should Cleonis's parents know his presence here, they might want to marry their daughter to him. That's something that we're thinking about now. Dun, dun, dun. Enter Madame de Buisson. So we've met the monsieur, and now we're introduced to the madame. For context of Madame de Buisson, she and Mrs. Bennett would be great friends, just so mm. you understand the <laughs> yes, personality. She immediately <laughs> zeroes in on Henry and his supposed fortune and title. There's a bit of embarrassment on all parties involved, except Madame de Buisson, who remains charmingly oblivious. However, while she's waxing poetic about her fortunes, both Henry and Jacques make their exit. <laughs> Which is smart. Which is very smart. She then goes to help, in quotes, Francoise by telling her that she should stop seeing Henry so frequently because tongues are wagging in the village about how in love Henry is with her and how he wants to marry her and how Francoise isn't getting any younger. And she's, for context, 24. Yeah. Yeah. She's 24. Uh, you know, so old, decrepit, spinster, you know, you know expiration date, y'all. Any taste. So Francoise isn't getting any younger. And so she should either marry him or stop seeing him because she's hurting her prospects by being focused on one man. Again, the world of Gossip Girl. Exactly. Exactly. Dr. Laurent and Francoise are a bit offended and by a bit very offended, but they stay respectful because they're well-bred people. It's like Thanksgiving, you know? You've got those, like, awkward conversations, but you need to be like, yeah, uh-huh. She then makes this request in which she says to Francoise, Emily. Oh, that reminds me, right next to our grounds, there's a little cottage of yours. La Chanterie, it's called. Ain't that right? Well, now, you really must sell it to me. I need it. We want to expand, and it suits me perfectly. The doctor charmingly and calmingly tells her that it belongs to Francoise and won't be sold anytime soon because it's up to her to sell it. Dubuisson, though, 
isn't deterred and she doubles down, offering to pay whatever Françoise wants. But the young woman states, You can't sell memory. Dubuisson, still not convinced, finally leaves with Cleonis and gives us all some peace. <laughs> the doctor is affronted and frustrated with ridiculousness, but he does tell Françoise, he's like, Henry's repeated appearances at their home is a bit telling and that maybe he should come less frequently. Unless they gonna get married. And then Françoise is like, this is kind of, it is kind of weird. So I understand why she would say that. But Françoise adamantly and passionately says no. And Dr. Laurent notes the passion, and he's like, okay, Françoise, it's your life. You do you. I will concede to you. And she's, again, like, putting other people in front of herself, something that women have never done, ever, so. So Act 1 is a lot of exposition, but the rest of the play moves quickly, and there's a lot that happens. And it's fun exposition, but yes, there is quite a lot of setup. Act 2 starts with Cleonis hiding out in Françoise's cottage, uh, La Chantrie, for a clandestine meeting with her distant cousin who she's in love with. There's like a two-page comedic bit here, which would be so fun to stage because there's a lot of physical comedy. It's so good. I I have like five actresses in mind and I'm like, she would be great. Oh my God, she would be great. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cleonis is great. She's a great character to explore with physical comedy and timing and situational comedy. She's great. Enter Henry and later Françoise and her maid. Henry goes on to tell Françoise that despite his past ideas about marriage and love, that he didn't believe in it and that he would never get married and that marriage is stupid. After all of that, he wants to marry Françoise and he loves her. Now that I've played the field and like had all my young man fun Mm -hmm. about ladies, now I've decided that because I'm poor, Marriage sounds like a great idea. Yeah. But for, also for context, he's poor, but he knows that his father is rich, that his father has money. So he's like, I may have debts, but when this old man croaks, I will have money. So he's not he's not really worried about that right now. I am into you and I do care about you, but it would be so convenient if we got married for me right now. Francoise, it's flabbergasted at first. And then she's like, bruh, you say you've loved me forever but you've left for years now to sow your oats and come back for a month and then left again for two years for Paris and you didn't write to us, so I'd love to believe you, but explain yourself. Yeah, like, I am not having this, Mr. Oh, I love you so much, I've been thinking about you while I've been sleeping with every woman in France. Yeah, okay, okay. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Also, like, lovely of Francoise, the way it started, I was like, oh, she's gonna fall for it. And then she just very quickly is like, I don't trust you. Look, I've known you my whole life, and you've always indulged in these romantic fancies. I just want to make sure that you really mean it and will feel the same way on our wedding and day. And that it's not just about, like, a cash flow problem exactly well she doesn't she doesn't know this yeah that's true right right and she doesn't but i agree like the first time we read this play i was a little hesitant until the last scene because i thought she was being such a pushover but rereading it it's clearer that she has a lot more fire than i than i got the first yeah yeah yeah. she's definitely she definitely sticks up for herself from the get-go even though you know her love is still very present she is cautious and she is careful which is commendable for a play written at that time as well. But he's also super hot and charming and they have great chemistry. Exactly. So, you exactly. know, you so get it. You get I, it. You get it. We get it. Henry answers this and he's like, I don't know, but all I know is I love you right now. Oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like not super reassuring. So Francoise, who we know is deeply in love with Henry, 
is also smart and tells Henry to think about it for a few days, make sure he's convinced of his feelings, and then come back to her. And so she leaves him to consider this. Which is also, like, super generous of her, I think, TBH. But... Truly, truly. It just also shows how much she cares for him. You know, she really, really does care for him. And so Francoise has just left and enter her father, the doctor, who has some bad news for Henry. His father is actually super indebted and won't leave anything but debts to his son. And Henry's lovely, you know, financial bubble pops and suddenly has a change of heart about marrying Francoise. He's like, mm, I don't know if this is the best choice for me anymore. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> the doctor seeing this is like, I will pay for your debts. Henry can pay off his debts by working with the doctor. And Henry, who has never worked a day in his life, is taken aback. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go see my father and then sell all my personal assets. <laughs> so before leaving, he tells Francoise, you're like a sister to me and I don't need your help. And then he leaves a confused and brokenhearted Francoise behind. Which, of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> Just hold on. Yeah. And so that's where we end Act 2. Act three starts two months later. We open on the Dubuisson family as they prepare for a ball they're hosting. It's a bit of comedic relief after the pain that we've just witnessed from Francoise. What they reveal is shocking. Henry wants to marry Cléonice. Surprise! Surprise! He has made his offer, and the parents, not Cléonice, have accepted without Cléonice's consent. And she's obviously like, I'm concerned about my best friend Francoise, who's really in love with this man and she doesn't know because she's awesome and he stinks <sighs> and he stinks and so enter henry and jacques his supposed half brother half brother yeah and jacques tells henry that francoise actually already knows about his impending nuptials or the fact that he's proposed to cleonice already and henry is annoyed at jacques for his concern and he's like my father when i went to go see him told me the whole truth and i know that you're my potential stepbrother which is such a weird response. Like, that's like I know, um, it's so what? weird. It's like, okay, I'm trying to help you out here. Which is what Jacques says. He's like, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to steer you in the right direction. If you know the situation, then you know that I'm here to support you. So, like, I want you to move in this life with honesty and love and move away from vanity and greed. Yeah, Jacques is, is really doing that deed of duty of trying to protect Henri not just financially, but also his honor and who he is as a man, which is, again, such as like a statement of who Jacques is. Truly, truly. After this little speech from Jacques, Henry pretty much admits that he is frivolous and is in love with the idea of love, which is just mm. like, okay, at least, you know, first step is recognition. Jacques, though, still manages to convince Henry to go see Francoise and see if they can salvage anything from their relationship. Again, very commendable. But before Henry can even leave to go see Francoise, she enters with her father. Henry is remorseful, but the Dubuisson parents won't let him forget his debts. There's this wonderful conversation between Dr. Laurent and Monsieur Dubuisson about what it means to be working class and what it means to have a title. Mm. And you truly see the divide between the Dubuisson family and the Laurents and where we see his position in the middle. Before Henry can think about going back to Francoise, Dubuisson tells him that one of the personal debts Henry owes is actually to him. And it's substantially more than the initial debts. A side plot is introduced that puts Cleonice in danger. This I'm not going to explain this side plot, but um, it is reminiscent. But it's of the, funny. But it is funny, and it's reminiscent of the plot against Hero in Much Ado. Françoise and Jacques decide to step in and save Cleonice. 
Henry, seeing their newfound closeness of Jacques and Francoise, confronts his half-brother about his love for Francoise. And Jacques, who up to this point has been a complete gentleman to everyone, and who's been super considerate of Henry's feelings and Francoise's feelings and everybody's feelings, steps up and he's like, yeah, I am in love with Francoise. You're over here too busy worrying about money and your lifestyle and you're letting this wonderful, beautiful, smart woman slip away. And since you're hell-bent on marrying her friend and neighbor, well, I feel like I can step in and be there for her, unlike you. But then he still adds, because he's still considerate, he's like, but if you let go of your frivolity and commit yourself to Francoise, I'll step aside and leave forever so that she can be happy because he knows that she's in love with Henry as well. Which is like sweetly self-sacrificing. It's again, sort of a foil moment of like, is it, is it actually honorable to put yourself last? Right. And I think that that's sometimes, I think that's one of the questions this play asks. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. Francoise is resolved to not accept Henry, but she wants to support him as a friend. So she forgives him for his past deeds. And hearing her words of forgiveness, Henry is moved beyond belief and professes his love for her again. <laughs> and Francoise, who is still in love with Henry, forgives yep. him and claims that he will always hurt her, but that's how he's always been. Mm. And she's loved him in the past anyways. Ugh, hot and cold and hot and cold and off again and on again. Oof, we've all been there. So the doctor comes in hearing this last speech and scolds Henry because Henry just committed to marrying Cleonice. He hears Henry, you know, confessing his love and Francoise being like, yeah, I'll marry you. And he's like, you just told her friend that you're going to marry her. What are you doing to my daughter? And Henry's over here caught in a lie. And he rushes out distraught and breaking his promises to everyone. He's like, I can't be here anymore. This is too complicated. I have too many feelings. And he just leaves. And women are the emotional ones, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, so that's the end of Act 3. Act 4 starts three months later so we've been with these people for about four or five months now Francoise is selling her cottage to her neighbors which is as we know in act one she was like no you can't sell memories but she's decided screw the memories screw the memories <laughs> and you know one of the biggest reasons that she says is because she grew up with Henry in this cottage mm. and she's selling her cottage what symbolism it's been three months since the ball and she hasn't heard a thing from Henry however Jacques has been writing to her weekly, if not daily. There you go. Communication is key. <laughs> yeah. It's revealed that Cleonice is in love with Henry in spite of everything that has happened and that they've actually seen each other in Paris a few times while he was there. Well, again, he's charming and hot and kind of cool. And yeah, she's 17. Yeah. Yeah. If I was 17 and like... Tracks. Yeah. Henry, who has a title and he's hot and knows how to use his, you know, knows how to use his language. Oh, I did not know if you were going with language there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like money. That's what we mean. Like money. We mean money. We mean money. And we also learned that Henry's debts have been paid by a benefactor, by an anonymous benefactor. It's implied in the scene that it's a doctor, but it's never confirmed. And Francoise tells Cleonice that she should just marry Henry since there isn't any obligation to either of them anymore. Meaning that Henry isn't tied by needing money to survive. He has his own money. He wouldn't be marrying her out of necessity. It could be real love. And... 
there's this whole beautiful scene in exchange. Henry comes in and he doesn't know who paid his debts and he's like, oh, my honor is ruined, blah, blah, blah. And then we learn that Françoise was the one who paid Henry's debts by selling her cottage and using part of her mother's inheritance. I mean, can we just talk about this? Like, I know. girl, girl. I know. I know. Self-sacrifice. But I have, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. First, like, financial independence of a woman in the 1800s is just like, what? So she's selling her own cottage that she owns and using her own money to pay the debts of a man that she's been raised with. Like, it's already such a big deal. And she's also, in that way, giving back to Henry all of the things that she's kind of lost. And it's, in a way, like, letting go. It's closure, right? Yeah, it's closure, exactly. It's, I mean, it's self-sacrifice also. Um, yes, for but sure. But I think for her, she sees it as, like... I'm completing this chapter. I'm setting you free. I love you. I'm taking care of you. And yeah, it's a sense of like completion. And on top of that, so Francoise has just done all of this for Henry. Jacques has also gone and proved Henry's heritage, making sure that he's actually his father's son and that he will regain his title and the inheritance and his social standing so he can marry the woman he loves. Gotta love a 23andMe moment back in the 1800s. So now Henry's fine, his inheritance is safe, he has his title, he has his social standing, and Henry is so overwhelmed by this kindness, which is really not deserved, that he makes a move on Francoise. (laughs) (laughs) Round three. Seriously. (laughs) Three strikes and you're out. Seeing this, Jacques, who's already been so selfless, is like, okay, well, now that everything is solved, you know... I guess I can make my leave. My promise to protect Henry is fulfilled and I have nothing left to do here. Plus, he doesn't want to see the woman that he's in love with marry another man. There's another whole play about that uh, on our list. Mm -hmm. So, chapter two. But in a moment of, 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 I don't know, strength... And not strengths, because she already knew this. You can tell that from the beginning of the act that this is where she's going. Françoise stops Jacques, and in a beautiful monologue, she denounces Henry and professes her love for Jacques right in front of Henry. Mm. And she pretty much is like, I've loved you like a mother loves her son. Uh, which is just like, can you imagine if you were in love with someone and they were just like, oh, I guess it's the friend zoning, but like more like Oedipus zoning i don't know <laughs> zoning. oh my god <laughs> and so henry is like oh no i just realized my mistake like you're such a good woman but it's too late because now he's actually truly committed to cleonis because cleonis's parents are like great Francoise doesn't want to marry you so you're gonna marry your daughter and she's super happy because even though he clearly doesn't really want to marry her she gets to marry the man she loves and Francoise and jacques get to be together in love Yay. and it's a happy ending yeah, and people who are, you know, communicate effectively and are selfless, that they get the happy ending. That's what they we do. want. That's what we want. History. So we've just gone through the wonderful plot of this play that we love, but who is Georges Sand? So Georges is a masculine name, especially in France in the 1800s, and it's a nom de plume for Amantine Aurore Lucille Dupin. That was her whole name. And she's usually referred to in history books as Aurore Dupin. Like Aurora Dupin. If you're you're American, Aurora. Aurora. Also known as George Sand. George Sand, yeah. But her her full name is Amantine Aurore Lucille Dupin de Franqueuil. That's her full titled name. And she's a Baroness by marriage. 
Fancy. Fancy. She was born July 1st, 1804, and died in 1876, and she's considered one of the most prolific writers with over 70 novels and 50 other miscellaneous works, including plays, novellas, fables, and political texts. It's just amazing. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane, considering that she didn't even start writing until um, 18, 1830s, so she was already, you know, she, she wrote late in her life, which is, again, insane. All right, Lynn Manuel, time for you to write a song about how <laughs> prolific George Lund was. Um, and can I be Josh Lund? <laughs> Please. She uses her writings to fight for women's rights. She advocates for passion, and she fights against a prejudiced conservative society. We love it. What? 1830s? You're writing all about all these things? She was super divisive for her time. Like Even at the time that she was writing, and even now, she was such a, an activist, and she was a troublemaker, and it's wonderful. Yeah, well, the photo we have of her, she is wearing pants. Well, actually, I'll explain this. I'll explain why in the second half of her life, she just wore what was considered men's clothing. And she looks great. If you have not seen our picture of Georgesand, she she's just a, she's she a badass. She is a badass. So uh, Georgesand, who at this time is Aurore Dupin, led a scandalous life with lovers and her choice of clothing, namely pants. And despite being chastised by her contemporaries, she was a trendsetter. And friends to her contemporaries, including, but not limited to, Chopin, Honoré de Balzac, who's a famous French author, and Gustave Flaubert, who's another famous French author, to name a few. For context, Honoré de Balzac and Gustave Flaubert, if you don't know their names, they were also instrumental in French literature and also modern literature. And they continue to be taught in classes. So, you know, teach Georges as well. She was also pen pals with Victor Hugo, but they never met. Huh. Yeah. She was really ahead of her time as a writer, focusing on the lives of the working and middle class and putting women forward in her writings. Most of her texts had female protagonists. Um, and she advocated for a world without class and without conflict. Despite writing a play about class and conflict. Well, yeah. she was like, this is bad. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> um, her early life is not a joyous one. Her family moves to Spain, where her mom gives birth to her brother and her brother is born blind and very sick and unfortunately the family has to escape Spain because of political unrest and her brother doesn't survive the trip and her father dies literally eight days later from a riding accident. It's not funny. Don't know why I laughed. Oh, no. But she loses her brother and her father in a one week period. She's really sad. At four years old, she is now in the care of her mother and her paternal grandmother. Her mother doesn't believe she can fully support her children. She has a, a sister. And she leaves them in the care of her grandmother. Aurore and her paternal grandmother are very close, and she gets to learn about philosophy and falls in love with her pastoral upbringing. And unfortunately, her grandmother dies in December of 1821. No! And it's revealed, yep, and it's revealed that the defunct left Aurore in the care of her uncle, not her mother. The defunct? The dead. The deceased. Ah. Oh, oh yeah. I see. I don't know why I wrote the defunct. I think it's because I translated this from French. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. Um, yeah. So, so George Sand, her grandmother dies, and then she's left in her uncle's care, which is her... Her dad's brother. And so her mother, in a fit of rage, is like, no, I don't agree to this, and whisks Aurore away, and leaves the beautiful village of Nohan where Aurore has lived her whole life, to go to Paris. So her mom, who's like, I'm going to be out of the picture, is just like, oops, I want to be in the picture again. Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> 
And it was more like because Oha had, you know, when her grandmother left because there was a close, Oha had a little bit of money and she had some rights to things. And so her mother was like, how dare you leave her in the care of her uncle and she should be with me because I want, you know, I want to be attached to all of these things. So it wasn't really because I love my dad. That sounds familiar. Yeah, and so, yeah, mm. and so at the beginning in early 1822, which I can only imagine is, you know, January, February 1822, which is important, her mother whisks Aurore away and brings her to Paris. So they move to the outskirts of Paris and quickly the tension rises between mother and daughter. Because her mother can't actually handle Aurore, she sends her to live with her friends, her being the mother. Mother's friends? Yeah. Ew, so I want you, but I don't actually. Bye. And so she leaves her with friends for a few months where Aurore meets her first husband, François Casimir du Devant, which means like of the front, if you want to translate that, but François Casimir du Devant, a lawyer at the royal court. They married in September of 1822. Despite having two children together, it's not a happy marriage. And du Devant actually slaps Aurore in public because of like something super ridiculous. Rude. Do not slap Do your not wife. Do not slap your wife. And even slapping your wife at the time is considered shocking, especially in public. You should do that stuff privately. <laughs> it's Ew. so gross. Um, she is dejected and also upset at being married to an idiot because he isn't actually on her level mm. intellectually. This might be a lawyer. Uh. But it was apparently a, a point of gossip that he wasn't at her level intellectually. So she's married to this man, but however, she meets other men and takes on a few lovers who are more on her level. Mm. She finds her husband's will, which ends up being a scathing review of his wife. And it's like, she's horrible and stupid and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, nope, I'm not doing this. And decides to leave him. Who like leaves a Yelp review as a will? It's just like, my shit goes to this person. Like, that's the wrong place. No. Zero stars. Zero stars for this man. So she decides to leave him. But mind you, at the time, divorce is not an option for people. But he's so stupid and he's so violent that the courts ruled in her favor, seeing the horrible treatment she was receiving publicly. And they were able to officially separate. After this, she moves back to Noel, where she was raised. And she moves there with her two children. But however, it's not long before she goes back to Paris and discovers a love for writing. Oh, she hasn't even been writing yet all this time. Wow. So when she goes back to Paris is when she gets permission from the police oh, to dress in men's clothing and gets to writing. Wait, she has to like get a hall pass to wear pants? Yeah, at the time, first of all, because women couldn't write, couldn't get be published. So she has to be able to use a man's name and be able to dress in men's clothing oh. to present her work. So she gets permission from the police and the government to dress in men's clothing. And that wait. is so... I want to say funny, but funny's wrong. Wow. Another fun fact about France, in France, a law that dated from 1800, prohibiting women from wearing pants, was officially repealed in 2013. 2013. Just let that sink in. I want to know what the penalty for that law um, was. It was like imprisonment. It wasn't death, but it was definitely imprisonment. Oh my god. The pants in France, you know. So anyways, moving back to Georges Sand, who now everybody calls Georges Sand. She has many special friendships and lovers, and most notable is her friendship with actress Marie Dorval. They wrote to each other all the time, and the letters, some of their letters became public. And in those letters, they talk about sharing a bed and talking, wink, wink, all night. And it was considered scandalous. 
That is pretty scandalous. I didn't know George Sand had a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So much I could spill. There's a jaunt in Italy. There's dysentery. There's a third lover and a drastic haircut. And all that is just George Sand and Alfred Denison, which is insane. And then there's Michelle de Bouge, who's a lawyer, who who's the one who finally got her separated from her husband years and years later, and who's also the reason that she was a socialist and who you know introduced socialist themes into her life and into her writing. And then, most fantastically, which I love, is Frédéric Chopin. So if you're a fan of classical music, or if you've ever played piano, you know who Chopin is. Chopin, for Americans. Chopin. <laughs> and theirs was a 10-year relationship that started as lovers, but because he had tuberculosis, it turned to friendship because she was caring for him, and they just weren't able to be lovers. <laughs> In that romance, there's distrust, there's family loyalties that are question and there's travel in Spain and there's so 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 much more like it's 10 years of relationship that's just insane and all of these kind of overlap too so just saying <laughs> so George Sand had a girlfriend a boyfriend that triggered a drastic haircut a boyfriend with tuberculosis and she finally got a separation from a lawyer that she was dating yeah she, yeah she yeah got separated from her husband thanks to a lawyer that she dated Oof. These are only four of her lovers. There are more. There are more that I didn't even write in here. So just saying. I want Jorsand and Hennessy Mitsimile to like just be chatting oh about God, heaven. Yeah. There's so much more to Georges Sand than these, you know, facts and these scandalous facts. She was truly a trendsetter, like I said, in her writings. And many famous French writers who were her contemporaries actually relied on her opinion. She was passionate and used her life as a canvas from which to tell her stories. She drew from her personal experience to challenge the status quo and make her society think. She was ahead of her time and, like I said, truly lived. She really went full steam ahead. Dun, dun. And now we have a scene from Francoise featuring Henry and Francoise discussing their relationship, and it's performed by two Hedwig Ensemble members, Gagarin and Sarah Hines. Darling, there were obstacles between us. Serious ones, so I thought. But listen, I'm free. I wrote to my father a few days ago. I asked to go and tell him about my plans. You know how cold Monsieur de Trejeneck has always been towards me. He's never done a single thing for me. It's never been necessary up till now. But now the time has come. <laughs> now he needs to think about my future. What he replied just this morning was that your father can make the decisions and tell me where I stand. He's leaving everything in his hands. That's why I've come back to Bourges. I was going past here. I saw the door open and I thought you were working here and here I am. Here I am at your feet, Francois, and I'm telling you that you're the one I want to marry. Unless I've just imagined that I'm the only thing you really care about. Me? Goodness, are you in love with me? You? No, it's just a daydream. You're not thinking about what you're saying. It isn't so. It's, it's impossible. Don't you believe me, then? You, you think you know me, but you don't know me, really. I, I've always pretended to be lighthearted with you as though I didn't really care. And now you've believed it. But I've been in love with you since... Since when? Since always. I think I was born that way. I know you were 14, 15 when your father separated us. Later I saw you again. I was leaving. 
yes, you cried a lot, but you were glad to go all the same. You were curious. You were keen to have your freedom. Oh, yes, that's the truth. I was laughing and crying at the same time. I was going to see my father and my home country, and I didn't know them at all. I had such a sorry reception, too. I was turned away so quickly. I thought I'd come back to Lugy again and live near you. Instead of which, you stayed in Paris for two whole years without ever thinking about us, almost without ever writing to us. Well, what do you expect? I was so young, I was left to my own devices, but I tired soon enough of living for pleasure, and that brought me back to you. And I felt then that you were the only one who could make me happy. And yet, after a very short time, you left us again. Francois, all these interrogations, they're chilling. They're terrible. Anyone would think you were trying to deny that I love you. No, but I know what you're like. You're impressionable changeable. All my life I've been worrying about the things that made you unhappy. And now that I'm asking you to make me happy, you start worrying about yourself. Myself? Ugh, no, I'm not thinking about myself. Poor Henri. My friendship has always been good for you. Up till now. But suppose it changed in a way that you didn't want. Why should it change? You're so kind to your friends. And I'd put my trust in a man I loved. I'm going to show you that. Listen, it isn't that you have any prejudices, but you do indulge in a few romantic fantasies. And when you make a promise, you make it with all the pride of a, a nobleman from Brittany. Not that I mind, even if I am middle class through and through. Well, now, I want to know if... The yes that you'd say at the altar on your wedding day would be a Christian's yes, a gentleman's, or a man of the world's. How do I know? It'd be the promise of the man who loves you. All right, Henri. I'll believe your promise. All I ask is, think carefully before you make it. I won't make any promises myself. That would commit you to keep your word, and I want you to be still able to change your mind. Think about it for a few days, and then talk to me about it again. I'm very much afraid you're deceiving yourself, and I would be so unhappy if you ever regretted it. I, I care for you so deeply, so... Oh, I really must go, or else you'll see I'm out of my wits. Why do you think... Why, where are you going, Francois? You're not leaving me like this. My father wants me for a moment. Thank you, Giggs and Sarah. Thank you for joining us for our Françoise by Georges Sand episode. This is a classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. If you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, please leave us a review and subscribe to this podcast. And then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleagues, or a professor, a fellow student at Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Facebook. Slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You can also support this effort by donation at the link in the comments below. Again, I'm Emily Lyon. And I'm Shannon Corinthian. Thank you. Thank you. Go wear pants. Dum.